Hey everybody, Pastor Dan Jr. here. Appreciate you joining us for another Venture Podcast. We're in a series called God With Us, and we're in week number two. And I hope you had the opportunity to listen to last week's podcast so you know what's kind of going on this week, because we've been looking at the different ways that we can encounter the presence of God in, in different seasons of our lives. And, and what we're doing is we're letting a text from the New Testament be an anchor for us. For those of you that are followers of Christ, this is one of the most important verses that that really solidifies your faith and and believing in the presence of God. And and in this verse that uh, we're going to teach, let me say that again, this is the verse that we're going to be using during the Christmas weekend to teach upon. But we're going to use it today as a a place to start our study. And it's Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And it says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And like I said, our series is called God with us. And if you were able to read or listen to last week's message, I I talked about the truth that, that we often enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we experience him intimately in the valley. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the, another metaphor from, from scripture, and that is in the wilderness. How do we experience God's presence in the wilderness? The wilderness is different from the valley because time in the wilderness usually lasts a lot longer. The wilderness is a barren place, a dry place, a desolate place where you feel very alone. One of the images often found in the wilderness is wandering through the wilderness. You know, we're we're wondering when in the world is this going to be over? We're wondering when are we going to get out of the wilderness? Some of you right now, you might be in some type of wilderness. You're stuck in this job and, and you're wondering, should I stay in this job or, or should I go back to school? And then I may have to go into student loan debt, but I may have a better job. I'm just kind of stuck in this place. Should I stay or should I do something different? Or maybe you're renting a house and, and wondering, should I buy a house? You know, Because I'm not getting any equity out of the rental. But if I do that, I may get transferred. I just don't know. And so you kind of feel stuck in this place. Maybe you're dating some guy and he just won't ask you to marry him. You've dated him and dated him and and prayed and prayed and he still didn't do it. He's just playing video games. You know, should I stay with him or should I go out with somebody else? And that would also work vice versa. It's kind of goes on and on and on from there. We, we often feel alone. We feel lost. We feel disoriented. We feel like nobody really understands what we're going through in the wilderness. And what's so interesting to me is when you look at wilderness stories in the Bible, they often follow mountaintop experiences. Wilderness times often follow mountaintop times. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He had a mountaintop moment with God right after he was baptized by by John the Baptist in the the Jordan River. And literally heaven opens up. And the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. His father verbally and, and publicly expresses his love and approval for his son. And God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You know, it's a father saying, I'm proud of my son. It's a mountaintop experience. And then the next verse says, Immediately Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. 
mountaintop followed by wilderness. Some of you, it may have been just like that. Things were going great and, and then you found out that, that someone wasn't being honest with you. Or suddenly you're in the wilderness. You, you thought your spouse was being faithful and your spouse wasn't. And you're like, oh my gosh, now, now you're in the wilderness. You're, you're in, a, in a financial wilderness. You're trying and trying and trying to get out of this debt and you feel so desperate. Whatever you do, it doesn't seem to work. You've tried to tell people how you feel, but they just don't seem to understand. You feel alone. You feel spiritually dry. You feel desperate in the wilderness. What I want to do today is to show you one big thought that will come back to you, back to you again and again, and then I pray that it, that it would just not be true, but it would be true to your spirit as you hear it and as you live it. The big thought is this. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. In fact, I, what I want to tell you is, and show you is a, a story from the Old Testament where this is lived out in a very real way. It's in 1 Kings chapter 19. When we see Elijah the prophet that, that God used in massive ways, he is literally on the mountaintops, Mount Carmel. He experiences the power of God. And almost immediately after this, we see him go from the mountaintop to the wilderness where he is desperate, where he's depressed, where he feels all alone and scared for his life. To give you a little context, there was an evil king named King Ahab. And King Ahab had an even more evil wife, and her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel heard about all about what Elijah had done. And she got so mad, essentially she said to her husband, look. If you can't do the job right, then let this woman, me, do the job. And that's kind of what she said. She says, send word to Elijah that by this time tomorrow, he will be dead. She threatened him. King Ahab had been coming after uh, Elijah for years and, and years and years and years. That, but as soon as a woman got mad, Elijah got scared. Now I'm going to show you right in God's word, she makes the threat. The king had been pursuing him for years, and she makes the threat, and this is what the Bible says. And like I mentioned, it's 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to start with verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Let me kind of pause for a moment, because when you just read that text, you may not understand just how far this, this man ran. To run to Beersheba. Listen, because we don't live in a, in a, in a, in a they didn't live in a world uh, with, they had Ubers going on, you know, or taxis. I, I mean, we're talking, this guy was on foot, right? And so he runs about a hundred miles to get away from this, this crazy, angry woman. We're talking, this prophet basically turns into Forrest Gump, you know, and he's, he's like, I was running, you know, I, I, I mean, he's out of Dodge. He's scared. He, he runs a hundred miles. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Let's continue on with, with our scripture. In verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a, a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. 
I am no better than my ancestors. Let's stop there for a moment as well. Because he says the words that so many of us have said. I've had enough, Lord. I just can't take it anymore. He had put up a battle. Uh, he had fought with bravery. He had faith. He had courage. And finally, he's just at the end of his rope. I've had enough, Lord. Now, I'm certain that a group that's listening to, to, to this podcast right now, that there's some point in your life that uh, many of you at, at, at this point in your life have just said those very words. You've said, I'm done. I'm spent. I've had enough. I can't take anymore. You know, if you're raising kids or you're raising teenagers, right? Or if you've ever raised kids at some point in your life, at some point you've said it. You've said this. I've had it up to here. I've had enough, Lord. And then you say, don't make me come back there because I will. Now, we've all said something similar to that, right? You know you say things like that. Things like that come out of your mouth. I've had enough, Lord. I can't take it anymore. Some of you are in a work situation where finally the straw just breaks the camel's back. Like, I can't take it anymore here. I just can't take another day at this place. Financially, you're trying to get ahead and, and you're making progress and then your car breaks, right? Your toilet overflows. And then, for some reason, your two-year-old puts a tic-tac up his nose. And you're going to the emergency room to get it removed. Now, I'm going to be forthright with you. I did that when I was little. I actually stuck a, a, a rock up my nose and my mom and dad had to, to go take it out, uh, take me to the emergency room to get that thing removed. And it cost them money, you know. And, and you're like, what is this, God, right? I can't take it anymore at all. You feel overwhelmed. And sometimes it's it's the smallest things. You You work hard. You serve faithfully. You make everybody the greatest meal ever. You put it out on the table and it's made with love. And they eat it like in 30 seconds. They leave all the dish on the table. And so you turn into Jezebel and you yell out, I'm going to kill somebody. And you say, by this time tomorrow, everyone who ate my food will be dead if this house isn't cleaned up. And this apparently is what happened to Elijah the prophet. Because let me tell you what. This guy had experienced the presence of God. This guy had fought with bravery, with boldness. In fact, if you don't know the backstory, he stared down the evil king and prophesied and, and called for a drought as a punishment to the king's sins. And sure enough, God stopped the rain. Now the king is really bad at Elijah, okay? And so he sends out all of his forces after Elijah. He hides for three years, and God is protecting him. But God miraculously feeds him through ravens from heaven. And then, then God uses Elijah to raise the, the, uh, the life of, to, of a dead boy, you know, brings it back to life. And, and this prophet stands down, uh, 850 50 false prophets of Baal. He calls down fire from heaven, and God shoots fire from heaven and consumes the altar. And then God destroys the false prophets. Elijah eventually calls and asks God to make it rain. He sees in the distance a cloud that's about the size of a man's hand. And he has the faith to believe that God is bringing the provision of rain. And God does. 
This prophet experienced the protection of God. The prophet experienced the provision of God. He knew very well the presence of God, and he had experienced God's greatness. And then when one woman makes a threat, he runs for his life. I know what men are thinking right now. You're probably just kind of looking forward. You're not even breathing at this moment. You're saying, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Dan. I don't have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, you do. He runs for his life. Some of you feel this way right now. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. I'm just exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. I'm doing the best that I can. And the best that I can just isn't enough. Dr. Henry Cloud uh, is a fantastic Christian psychologist. And he was talking to a group of, of leaders and pastors that were all experiencing the same thing. And they're experiencing what many of you may be experiencing right now. They were all talking about how we're just tired. We're just all tired. And Dr. Cloud said, for most of you, you are probably misdiagnosing your challenge. He says, you may be misdiagnosing what your real need is. He said, most of you are not tired. Because if you were tired, you could just take a nap and that would solve your problem. You're not in need of a physical rest as much as you are in need of a spiritual replenishment. He said, you're not just tired, but you're spiritually depleted. This needs to speak to somebody that's listening right now. You're not just tired. You're not just overwhelmed. What you need is an encounter with the very real and very holy presence of God. What you need is an intimate moment where you experience the grace, the goodness, the loving kindness, the mercy of the presence of God. You're not just tired. Maybe you do need some rest. Maybe you some need some physical rest, okay? But even more than just physical rest, you need to encounter the grace of God. You need spiritual replenishment. Listen to what David said in the 23rd Psalm. He said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He, the Lord, restores my soul. Not just tired, not just worn out, but I need the restoration grace of God to my soul. Not just physically exhausted, but spiritually depleted. So, what does God do? What I love is what God doesn't do. God doesn't preach him a sermon going, this is your fault. God doesn't give him 10 verses to memorize or say, where's your faith? What God does is God tells him to eat and to rest. That's what God says. Listen to what scripture tells us. Look at verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Verse 6, he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. What did God say? Essentially, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to rest in the presence of God. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just take a, a breather and let God restore your soul. Let's read on. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Now, 
Listen to what the angel said. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, right? I love this because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I, I just don't get it the first time, right? And God comes back a second time. And even sometimes a third time or, or more. Because the presence of God continues to pursue you. There are those of you today, God is coming back for you again. And if, and if you don't get it today, he'll come back again. Let's read on. Look at verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Some of you, God may speak to you that way. What do you think you're doing? You know better than this. What are you doing right now? You've got complete access to me. Why are you running away from people and running away from God? What are you doing here? And then Elijah starts getting the whiny voice when he's talking to God. Now, I don't know uh, if you ever get a whiny voice when you're talking to God, but I sometimes get a whiny voice some when I feel like God's not answering my prayers, right? And God's not doing what I want him to do. And I get the whiny voice. You know what the whiny voice? I, I just don't, I don't understand. I really want you to listen to this, okay? 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10 is where we're at. Follow along with me. Here's what he says. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. You know, he gets that whiny voice. And it's because he's in a spiritual wilderness. He's hurting. His need is so great, he cannot see beyond his own need. Nobody understands. Nobody's doing it like I'm doing it. I'm all alone. I'm desperate. And what does God do? God meets him in his deepest need. God ministers to him in this moment of vulnerability. God brings healing in the middle of the hurt. And that's why I hope you'll understand that your deepest need can become a gift when it drives you to depend on God. And God comes to him again and again and reaches out to him in the deepest of need. Let's read on. Verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12. After the earthquake, earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The ground shook and, and God wasn't in the shaking of the ground. The wind raged and, and God was not in the wind. The fire burned and God was not in the fire. See, we're talking about earth, wind, and fire. See what our wonderful God did there? God did that. God did that for all of you that are listening that were born in the 70s or remember the 70s, okay? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you'll have to look it up. Earth, wind, and fire. Trust me. But either way, God was not in the remarkable. God was in the ordinary. God was in the whisper. Why is it that when life is so difficult, God's voice is so quiet? Why is he gentle? 
Why is his voice so still and so small? If God wants us to hear him, why does he whisper? Why doesn't he shout? Why doesn't he speak loud and, and powerful and in spectacular ways? If he wants us to know him and to hear him, why does he whisper? I'll tell you why. God whispers because he's close. Because he's right there with you. He whispers because he's near. The devil shouts his lies, but God whispers his truth. God doesn't shout to get your attention. He whispers to draw you close. What does he say to you? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've been with you every single moment. And I love you more than you can imagine. When you hurt, I hurt with you. I'm with you in the valley. I'm with you in the wilderness. I'm with you in the storm. Why does God whisper? He whispers because he's right there. He's close. Where do you want to be when you're afraid? That's a great question, right? I'm asking if there's anybody out there, if you've ever been afraid of a storm when you were growing up, I'm sure you had. You had to have been afraid of a storm when you know you were like two, three, four, five years old. Maybe it was just yesterday. Who knows? Okay. But most of you were probably afraid of the storm. And if you weren't afraid of the storm, you were probably some like super two-year-old or something. I don't know. But I was scared to death. Anytime there was a big storm, you know where I would go? Straight into my mom and dad's room, right? They would let me sleep in the room, but my mom and dad would not let me in the bed. So you know what I'd do? I'd curl up like a little dog at the edge of their bed. I just wanted to be close. Listen to me out there. In the middle of the storm, you don't have to run to God's bed. He's already with you at yours. He's right there. He's close. If your heart is hurting right now and you feel brokenhearted, where is God? Let me tell you where he is. Scripture tells us in Psalm 34, 18, listen to this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why does he whisper? Because he's close. Because he's near. Because he is with you. David said this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley, the valley is not my destination. I'm just passing through. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. Because he never leaves me. Because he is always close. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. His, he anoints me with, he anoints my head with oil. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely his goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Why does God whisper to his sheep? Because he's close. He knows his sheep by name, and his sheep know his soft and gentle voice. David said of God's presence, he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even in your hand guides me, your right hand will hold me fast. Your right hand will hold me. How close is the presence of God that he can hold your hand? Why does God whisper? Because he's close. 
See, and then one day you'll discover that your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. And if you'll stop for a moment from the busyness and the rush of this world, and you'll just dig a ditch, you'll make a well, you'll be ready for the presence of God. He will meet you there. Because who is he? The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Thanks for joining us for week two of our series of God with us. Please join us next week for week number three.